All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, talking to you from the Borough of Queens uh, in New York City. This is the second day of August 2022. I'd like to remind you, am I the editor of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks? You can sign up for that by going to miningstocks.com. Also, like to plug Channel Lynn's letter, especially if you're interested in the biotech, some very exciting uh, developments in some of these young biotech companies that Chen talks about from time to time. Chenpix.com. Chenpix.com is the place to go to sign up for Chen's letter. And we also like to remind you of Michael Oliver, who's with us today. His excellent uh, newsletter, uh, the MSA, uh, OliverMSA.com is the place to go for that, his momentum and structural analysis letter. And he'll be uh, sharing a few of his ideas with us. Uh, in a few minutes from now. Don't, of course, we always want to invite you to send along whatever comments you have about this show to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions at number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Today's sponsors are Irving Resources, Novo Resources, Eloro Resources, Timberline Resources, Lion One Metals, and SK Mining. I've titled today's show, Are We There Yet? With Quantitative Easing or Quantitative Tightening. Michael Oliver, Patrick Highsmith, and Brian Lenny join us for the first time. The last time the U.S. had a serious inflationary problem was during the late 1970s and the first couple of years of the 1980s, during which time gold rose from $35 to $850. Ever since the first couple of years of the 1980s until the Biden administration, there hasn't been a significant consumer inflation problem, although there has been a very serious inflation problem in the stock, bond, and real estate markets. That is the primary reason why the top 1% of our population continues to squirrel away the lion's share of wealth in America while the middle classes rapidly fall below the poverty line. And now with inflation continuing to accelerate towards double digits, increasing numbers of middle class people are heading into poverty. Well, David Stockman expressed his opinion a few weeks back on this show that he didn't think we would, we should be looking for a Powell pivot towards easier monetary conditions anytime soon because he opined that the Fed was deathly afraid of the masses of angry citizens coming after them with torches and pitchforks, in David's colorful language. On the other hand, Wall Street and Washington power brokers are used to having a one-way street towards greater and greater wealth as their stock and bond market portfolios rise ever higher. They have not had to deal with any prolonged stock market downturn ever since Alan Greenspan and the Plunge Protection Team was created after 1997 stock market crash because the Greenspan put was initiated 
and that kept the rich and powerful enjoying ever-rising profits, and if they were suffering any kind of a downturn, it was very short-lived because the Fed would always come to the rescue and start pumping money in the system, and away we go with the rich getting richer evermore. So the rich and the powerful are arguably in a much stronger position to impact Federal Reserve and federal government policy than any, than any of us average folks. While there are not nearly as many voting billionaires as there are common folks, why would the rich and the powerful ever allow the people Hillary Clinton describes as deplorables get in the way of the well-being of the status quo? I think it's fair to say that the rich and powerful are not too pleased with stocks and bonds being in a bear market for long. So I titled today's show, Are We There Yet? Meaning, are we near the point where Chairman Powell will be forced to say to heck with the tortures and the pitchforks and give in once again to the World Economic Forum and resource billionaires, and, and, uh, and I should say rescue the billionaires? Or might David Stockman be right in suggesting that populism will have its turn politically and economically in America and the status quo are rightfully frightened? Well, those and other related questions will pose to Brian Lenny in the second half of today's show. Whatever our monetary future holds, one thing I know is that Timberline Resources appears to be on to a Carlin-style gold discovery in Nevada. Now, Timberline is a very low market cap company, but given early drill results revealed by the company, uh, I think that could change very quickly and very dramatically with more, a few more drill results this summer. And uh, we'll be talking to Patrick Highsmith, about the company's prospects and what they're planning to do this summer, their drill program, and why it might be something you want to pay some attention to if you're a speculative investor. But right now, I'm really happy to tell you that Michael Oliver is with me once again to share some thoughts, uh, his ideas on these very unusual and perilous markets. Thanks for joining me, Michael. Hi, Jay. It's really good to have you. Well, do you share the idea expressed by David Stockman? David thinks that, you know, the Powell is seeing these his visions of these uh, torches and pitchforks coming after him. Certainly people are angry. They are distraught. The middle classes are being hurt like never before since the 1970s. I would argue more than the 70s because in the 70s there were still strong labor unions and there was some protection for, and the country was in much better shape, I think, in many ways. But anyway, what are your thoughts? Should should David, well, is think, there any credence to David's ideas that Powell is not going to pivot anytime soon? No, uh, I think he'll pivot. I think the data points will make him to pivot. And already if you pay attention to just like read the Wall Street Journal and see either one, their editorials, or two, opinions expressed by outside economists about, hey, this is, uh, this is having another consequence. You know, there's an acknowledgement out there that uh, it's causing negative trend events that likely will show up in data points, you know, the things mm -hmm. the Fed likes to look at. And I think that those data points will smack them in the face starting real soon. I think in particular if we see an unemployment shift uh, that's a little too rapid for them, that, that, that'll alarm them. Because that, remember, that's their other mandate. Uh, and no, I think the forces that be, the powers that be, uh, will <clears throat> realign the Fed uh, toward what the Fed does. And that is, you've got to support the bond market of the government, muni bond market, high-yield corporate debt market, and we can't let the stock market drop back down. Uh, now, on a short-term basis... MSA put out a report about three or four weeks ago saying that likely the S&P at that point was in the 3,800s would rally up to 4,100. Uh, but 
you know, you can trade it if you want to, but it's a counter-trend rally, but likely would occur. Well, we did. Uh, the market got up over 4,100 last week, spun its wheels, and it's spinning its wheels there now. We don't trust it at this point to gain more ground. I think that might have been the counter-trend trade that we've seen, and it could roll over again soon. And I'll, frankly, there's some numbers below the market that if you go back down, you don't even have to go back to the lows, the lows in price seen by the Dow, the S&P, and the NASDAQ in, uh, in June. You don't have to get that low. You get it down even I – won't, I won't specify the numbers. We do that in our report, but you can't afford to roll over again. If you roll over again, you're going to blow those lows out, and you're going to have a pretty dramatic down leg. And I, I think that's going to occur. I think we needed to have this rally because it turned heads. Mm-hmm. It's also the longest rally we've had so far in terms of the number of weeks of recovery off the low. Most of the rallies so far this year have been two to four weeks, and then they collapse. Mm-hmm. This one's now seven or eight weeks. So, you know, it, it's made people feel more comfortable. I think it's false comfort. Now, but if we roll back over in the stock market and take out our trigger numbers and resume the downside, which we think is underway, then this major bubble breaking which we think it is the biggest stock market bubble in the history of the United States in terms of the metrics of the upside from 2009 to 2021. And they're definitely were sponsored by the Fed. Monetary policy, QEs, expansion of the money supply, you name it. All those things fueled the monetary inflation that went into that category. Because remember, investors determine where the money goes. The Fed doesn't. They just mm-hmm. print it. Now, the problem now is there's a lot of large investors who are skeptical of the stock market and express those statements. Uh, they're skeptical of the value of the underlying value of your money unit, to quote mm-hmm. Ray Dalio. Uh, mm-hmm. And for some reason, stand back and think about it, gold has, had, has been in the, probably the narrowest price range, percent-wise I'm speaking now, mm-hmm. in the last, since it was legalized in 75. Wow. If you put it on mm-hmm. a logarithmic chart, extremely narrow for two years now, like mm-hmm. 20% or less range. Uh, we've had three probes under 1,700, March of 2021, a brief one in August of 2021, and last month. Each of them mm-hmm. stopped around 1680. Who is buying gold down there aggressively and resolutely? Yeah. Uh, that's Ooh. the question people should ask. Instead of who's yeah. selling gold, who's buying gold repeatedly at that level? What is their motivation? I suggest they have a good motivation. Uh, and so far, yeah. the recovery will be... Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, any, any sense of who is buying gold? No, I have no idea. I, I suspect, yes, yeah, some of the large asset managers have expressed yeah. doubt about the stock market and right. doubt about the value of your money. Therefore, they go to money that is not doubtful. Yeah, like a, Ray, like, like a Ray Dalio, maybe. Yeah, and yeah, others, but, uh, you know, that are openly skeptical about it. Uh, Jeff right. Dunlock, for example. Right. Now, I don't know right. what they're doing with gold specifically, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. obviously somebody with big hands and a lot of money is, a, is buying those sharp breaks. And it's mm-hmm. the same level, which is mm-hmm. almost uncanny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet most gold investors aren't noticing that. Why? Because they're focused on the miners which did not hold the lows of the last two years. But it's typical we've done studies on the miners versus gold going back decades. And it's just the case that when gold goes down, they go down more. Mm-hmm. And when gold goes up, they go up more. Right. It's the nature of the beast. It's mm-hmm. a tiny little sector of the, of the market, the gold mining, silver mining. And a little bit of money moving here and there can really move it big. 
And right now we're measuring for the resumption of the upside and therefore the outperformance return of gold miners and silver in relation to gold. We think that's already some evidence of that occurring, and we're looking for just a bit more before we pound the table. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, so, with, so with the precious metals, um, do, you, do you think we're anywhere near? I mean, do you, can you give us some sort of sense of how much we need to see on the upside before we break through? I mean, we've had a nice, oh, nice move I the think, last few uh, days. Right now, I think there's some vulnerability to have a pullback. Like in silver, got up to about 2050. There's a 50-day average up there, so that crowd will sell there naturally. Uh-huh. We said that in our weekend report. And sure enough, it looks like they did. We're now at 20 bucks. wouldn't shock me to see a low this month closer to 19. Remember, the low of the move was 1790-something. Okay, I don't think we're going to go back to the lows. I think gold has seen its lows, uh, and there's some further upside evidence, before, again, before we pound the table, but it's not far above us. Mm-hmm. I think before we ring those numbers in solidly, we might get a little pullback. Yeah. But I view the situation now as one of positive zigzag, not negative zigzag. Mm-hmm. And, uh, again, our subscribers have provided specific numbers in that regard. But uh, if that does occur, then once again the very beat-up gold miners will surge more out of the hole than will gold. Mm-hmm. They'll snap back much more. So that's yeah. a place to focus uh, right. once the evidence comes in. All right. Real quickly then, um, with respect to treasuries, I mean, do you, at some point, you know, I mean, the, go, you know, the go-to markets, uh, do you think there's going to be a time when gold is the only man standing? Yeah, the only I mean, one. We yes, still... I, think, I, I think we're already really there when you compare gold to any of these other assets. Right now, gold had a high today close to 1790 You know what? That's down about 2% on the year. Find uh-huh. me another major <laughs> portfolio asset that's only down yeah. 2% on the year. Yeah. You won't find uh-huh. one. Muni bonds, uh-huh. high yield. And as far as we're concerned, the Treasury market rally that we're now having, we expected it. We don't think it has a lot more duration on the upside price move or time-wise. Uh, and we think it's a counter-trend rally there as well. Uh, and, of course, if, if that market ever rolls over again, then the Fed's going to have a, the responsibility to do what? Uh, support the bond market. Yeah, absolutely. It has to. It has to. It has no choice. All right, it's Michael, thank you very much. Th- thank you. It's his job, yeah, and, and to support the banks that are the shareholders of the Fed. Right. Uh, thank, thank you so much, Michael. Always great to have you, you and Jay. to hear your, your insights. All right, folks, well, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away because Patrick Highsmith, President and Chairman of Timberlayer and Resources will be with me. We'll be right back with Patrick. Lion Wine Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have Patrick Highsmith with me once again. He's the president and CEO of Timberline Resources, uh, and he has a rich experience, a very uh, a pretty lengthy experience as a professional geologist with major companies, household name companies like Rio Tinto, BHP Pilotin, uh, Newmont, uh, Fortescue Metals, etc. There's many. Uh, and lots of lots of experience uh, from all areas, from uh, grassroots exploration on up to more developed projects. And now he's using his talents to help the little juniors, the little guys, uh, find new wealth in the ground. And he's having quite a bit of success uh, with one of those companies. And that uh, we're going to talk to you today about Timberline Resources trades uh, over the counter in the U.S. TLRS. You can buy it in Canada. TBR. Is the symbol there? 158.6 million shares, 19 cents. I saw it trading earlier in U.S. money today, giving it a minuscule market cap of around 30 million dollars. The company does have uh, some lower grade surface resource uh, numbers at 508,000 ounces in the measured and indicated category. Uh, so it's it's already has a good start, but I think more exciting news is to come based on the discovery of what sure seems to be a Carlin style. Deposit. So, uh, Patrick, thanks for joining me today. Good to be here, Jay. Thanks for having me. It's really good to have you. I'd like to start out by uh, just quoting a a remark you made in a June in the June twenty first news release. It was the last one that I've seen from um, from the company, and you said, and I quote: "This is the most exciting drill program in recent memory for Timberline. We are following up on the excellent results from the water well zone." where we have drilled thick intercepts of strong Carlin-type gold mineralization. We expand the footprint of the zone to more than 400 meters from south to north, and it remains open in both the, both of these directions as well as down dip to the east. We shall also test the extent of the recent reported gold in drilling at the Oswego Prospect. It is gratifying to see the Eureka Gold Belt taking shape as both I-80 Gold Corp and Timberline drill significant new gold intercepts uh, in the Cambrian and Ordovician rocks of the district. And so, uh, end of quote. So I'd like to, just for investors who may not be familiar with Carlin-style deposits, maybe you could just talk to them a little bit about what Carlin-style deposits are, uh, maybe, you know, and the significance of them in terms of their profit potential. Sure, Jay. Thanks for that intro. We we are. I'm in Eureka, Nevada this week. We have two drill rigs turning, uh, one reverse circulation and one core rig, and we are right in the middle of that program, uh, as you mentioned. The Carlin-type gold deposits, Jay, we, we've spoken a little bit about it. We try not to do too much geology when I'm on here, but mm-hmm. uh, these, are, these are gold deposits that are hosted in sedimentary rocks, Jay. Normally, mm-hmm. they are in rocks like uh, limestones, thinly bedded limestones, or, or shales, uh, sometimes in dolomitic rocks. But these are sedimentary rocks, you know, used to be on the ocean floor kind of thing, the ancient oceans. And when these rocks are, uh, are, are shattered, as they are here in Nevada, from extensive faulting and, and fracturing, 
uh, you get fluid pathways there that allow these gold-bearing fluids to percolate up through the rocks, and they are reactive, Jay. That's the key ingredient is because they are carbonate rocks, meaning they have calcium carbonate in them, that mineral can dissolve and be altered into other minerals, and that forms a reaction with the fluids that leave the gold there. It takes many forms. It uh, but most importantly, I would say to your point on economics, is they often lend themselves to a bulk style of mineralization, Jay, where we get substantial thickness of the rocks that are that are replaced with these uh, alteration minerals, including gold. And they also, uh, sometimes locally, sometimes over great widths, can be quite high grade. Uh, the mm-hmm. plumbing itself, the, these faults and fractures, are highly mineralized, and it's not uncommon to have, uh, you know, over 10 gram per ton. Uh, mineralization over significant widths here, and that's that's why we're out here looking for for carlin types uh, in Eureka. Yeah, if you can get bulk tonnage with those kind of grades uh, and lots of it, it can be <laughs> incredibly profitable. And there are you know several major mining companies or major really big uh, world class deposits in right in that part of Nevada. So um, can you talk a little bit about the uh, water well zone that you? The, the results from the water well zone that you referred to in that uh, quote I just read? Yeah. The, the reason we're so excited about it, uh, Jay, it's just down dip and adjacent to the existing resource you cited, which does come mm-hmm. to surface. And that's quite lower-grade mineralization, but it comes to surface. So it, that could potentially be economic, and as you say, it's a good start. But what we did is we looked off to the east, and we are looking for the sort of uh, – down dip, maybe feeder zones, if you will, that were uh-huh. accountable for that, that lower grade mineralization at surface. And we hit a couple of ripping holes last year that we announced early this year. Uh, one of those was about 41 meters of 5.03 grams per ton. That included mm-hmm. 19.8 meters of 9.5 grams per ton. And that was at the south end of the water well zone. If you jump 400 meters north, We drilled 44.2 meters of 4.1 grams, which included 12.2 meters of, again, over 9 grams per ton. Mm -hmm. So in between there, there are a number of other holes that also hit. We had a good one that was 24 meters of 3.85 grams per ton, about halfway in between. And there are several other holes. So now we have what we call a footprint of this emerging Mm -hmm. discovery. It's starting to take shape. It's got thickness, it's got grade, and the reason we're so excited is some of these holes are, that we're drilling now are filling in in between those, and some of them are testing the northern and southern extensions and a little bit to the east as well. So we're trying to grow the thing from an area we know has thick higher grades to this mm-hmm. area, this newer zone that, um, uh, where we've encountered these, these high grades. So we're drilling, when you, whenever you're drilling within the footprint near the good stuff, you have a high probability of hitting more of the good stuff. So, uh, mm-hmm. so that's one reason we're excited. And there are a number of other targets sort of uh, coming up behind the water well zone as we advance that one as well, Jay. So about 65% of the more or less 18,000 feet of drilling that we have confirmed we will definitely do, about 65% of that will be devoted to the water well zone and those nearby extensions of it. And that leaves us about 35% to do some exploration, over at the Oswego target, where we also announced some good results earlier this year, and uh, elsewhere on the huge 70-square-kilometer uh, property. So what? give us an idea of the footprint so far. I mean, you mentioned 400 meters, I think, uh, step out last year, perhaps. Or what, what are we looking at? What is the target size now in terms of your step outs? 
Yeah, we we are. Uh, as I said, we're both filling in and stepping mm-hmm. out. So so 400 meters north to south is that high grade zone. Within uh-huh. that, we're trying to get holes, Jay, on on kind of a nominal 50 uh, meter to 100 meter sometimes spacing in in, the, in between. And mm-hmm. then when we go uh, outside of that, we've drilled, for instance, this year so far uh, a, a 50 meter step out. Uh, another case, we've gone uh, a couple of hundred meters south. Um, so we've got a really, depending on the, the, the ranking and rating of all these targets, we're sort of uh, stepping out with sometimes more aggressive exploration. And sometimes in areas where the grade is really high, Jay, you don't want to step out too far because, right. as we've talked about before on this show, the high grade is sometimes really complicated structurally. And you don't want to go too far because then you get into a, a, a new, you know, Mother Nature throws you a curveball, as it were, and you cross a major fall for that sort of thing. So it's a mixture, Jay. Sometimes we're only... Uh, 40 meters or 50 meters away because we're trying to figure out where the faults are and other times where we're more confident we've stepped out a little bit more. So we see in this area, the water well zone, the lookout zone, uh, there's potential in this area alone, Jay, without going very deep or without going across the valley to Oswego uh, for two to three million ounces of gold here, uh, both, uh, both down dip and, and uh, to the north and south and within that footprint we've already identified. So we're definitely on to uh, what I would call an emerging discovery, and uh, and I think the market sees that. You've you've seen, uh, uh, you know, we've basically we moved uh, our market cap from from February where we were at about 18 million. Uh, in March we went up over 40 million market cap, and then of course in the doldrums, kind of trading with the the GDXJ and the sentiment. Uh, Jay, we we traded down in July to a low of around 21 million market cap. So there's a lot of volatility there. Um, but I think also, um, as we've seen, even when sentiment is off, when we put these news results out, the market has responded because it realizes uh, a, a drill holes like these in Nevada on an established trend uh, could well be material and significant. Well, for sure. But a $30 million market cap or so where you are today is really very minuscule compared to what might be if if these numbers come in. And I would say you're drilling you know, tightly spaced uh, when you're in the good stuff. If you can find a lot of good stuff in a small amount of in a small area, they don't need to move nearly as many rocks, nearly as much material to to, to produce a lot. Uh, what about you mentioned the Oswego? What what's going on over there? Yeah, Oswego is about a kilometer to a kilometer and a half away from the area we were just talking about. You can the, the audience can look on our website and see it on several maps and in news releases, including the one you mentioned on June 21. And about a kilometer, kilometer and a half away, we did announce some results in May, I believe it was, at Oswego, where we drilled about 35 meters, uh, uh, a 35 meter intercept there that was about 2.3 grams per ton, almost from surface, Jay, and that was oxidized mineralization. And uh-huh. that included 20 meters of just under 3 grams, again, pretty much coming to surface. So Oswego wow. sits on one of these faults. It sits on one mm-hmm. of these structures. And we've now put about two holes into the Oswego area. And just this week, we're planning to go where to go next to continue to chase that, that, that higher-grade interval uh, and maybe look also down dip to see what that zone looks like in some of the favorable host rocks at, at depth. So Oswego will probably see 15 to 20% of our drilling maybe uh, this year, but it's all kind of results contingent. So uh, mm-hmm. something like that. We'll definitely, we've put a couple of holes in Oswego. We're drilling about 20 some odd holes here, Jay, and I wouldn't be surprised if we've got, you know, five or six over at Oswego before we're done. 
Yeah. Is um, is that part of the same system, do you think, or is it cut off by a fault? Or well, is it know, a different I thought, system? I thought Quentin I thought Quentin Henney's analysis of that was the best, Jay, because he looked at a cross-section with Oswego on the right and uh, Waterwell's on and Lookout on the left, and he said it looks like a big smiley face where they connect up in the middle. And I hope he's <laughs> right. I hope there's a big old smiley face down there. It certainly puts a smile on my face to think about it. But clearly, Jay, to, to be serious, there's a geophysical anomaly down the center of that sort of corridor, and we have drilled into that and hit some lower-grade mineralization, some silver mineralization that indicates there is a system down there, and it could be pumping juices up these structures. And we might see at Oswego and the water wells on and look out sort of the, the near-surface leakage from something that's much bigger at depth. It's just that right now we're not really drilling those deeper holes, Jay. We're focusing on the, the shallow portions to demonstrate continuity and grade and thickness. Uh, but we will definitely need to put a few deeper holes in there because there is evidence that the systems are linked over that wow. kilometer distance. Wow, that could be very exciting. What about, real quickly, with just about a minute or two left, metallurgy? Any metallurgical work done there yet? And also then, if you can just sort of sum up uh, where the Eureka project is right now, and just in sort of summing up. Sure, I can do that quickly. Uh, I would refer the audience to our historical 43101 technical report on the Lookout Mountain resource in which some metallurgical work is reported. Obviously, it's preliminary and early days, Jay, but suffice to say there is oxide mineralization that has demonstrated favorable characteristics for possible leaching from a heap leach type mm -hmm. operation. There is also definitely sulfide mineralization, Jay, that would require more elaborate processing we don't know uh, how much yet that work. We'll probably do some of that uh, during the winter season coming up mm -hmm. on the water well zone. But as we've reported, it's typically sulfide, but it's typically high-grade. And if you're going to mm -hmm. drill sulfide and high-grade, Nevada is a great place to do it. Um, well, so, yeah, just mm -hmm. to wrap up uh, – sorry, Jay, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Okay, just to wrap up. Uh, I think at, at our Eureka project, it's really so big, Jay, that it, it, it could be more than one project. But if we talk about lookout and water wells on, uh, we're in an area there with an established, uh, those smallish resource, half a million ounces, with the potential to grow to more than two million ounces, we believe. And we've been reporting consistently uh, good mineralization over the last two drilling seasons. I would call it an emerging discovery, Jay, and, and uh, you know, we're definitely haven't proven its continuity or its potential economics yet. That is still to come, but we think there's a lot of growth there, and it's a great place to be as an explorer, drilling high-grade intercepts, over 200-gram-meter intercepts in some cases, uh, wow. right next to an existing resource uh, on a major trend. And, of course, don't forget, just north of us, I-80 Gold, a few kilometers away, is drilling a lot of gold uh, in the same rocks, including the Dunderberg Shale, which is our main host rock. Uh, mm. at the water well zone. So, so yeah. uh, we're, we're in a hotbed of activity. We see it with the contractors and the activity here in Eureka. And we've got two drills turning right now. And uh, we look forward to start reporting results here probably in mid to late August from this drill program, Jay. And then right through uh, September, October, November, we'll be drilling and announcing. Well, I, I know the I-80 story. It's really incredible, uh, extremely high-grade stuff. And um, so we're really, I guess we really have to keep our eyes on the drill results that will be coming out. How soon do you expect? Yeah, as I said, uh, a few assays trickling in. We started drilling effectively in June, mid-June, I think. So uh, I would expect mid to late August will be our first sort of cluster of results. And uh, we'll be drilling probably through October with news flow all through that period 
uh, pretty regular as it comes in in, in, in batches. Uh, and right. we'll kind of group them by, you know, batches of holes based on which target they're in, that kind of thing. Excellent. Well, we'll be watching very closely, that's for sure. Thank you very much uh, for being with us, Patrick, and uh, we'll look to keep up with you in the future. Thank you. All righty. All righty, folks, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away. Brian Lenny will be with us to share his views on the current treacherous markets. I think uh, you don't want to miss what he has to say, so we'll be right back with Brian Lenny. Timberline Resources is a mineral exploration and resource development company focused on gold discovery in the world-class mining jurisdiction of Nevada. The company's flagship Eureka Project hosts a significant gold resource and drill-indicated upside potential at nearby higher-grade targets. Timberline Resources trades in Canada under the symbol TBR and on the OTCQB in the U.S. under the symbol TLRS. To learn more about this district-scale asset with exciting discovery potential, please visit www.timberlineresources.co. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back, Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have Brian Lenny with me for the first time. Brian is an engineer by trade. He is the founder and editor of Junior Stocks Review, which you can follow up with uh, that by going to juniorstocksreview.com, juniorstocksreview.com. It exists uh, to offer information, ideas, and strategies for managing speculation in the junior resource sector. Brian first discovered mining stocks over 15 years ago and was immediately intrigued. In 2014-2015, he anticipated that the resource sector was closing in on a bottom, and he wanted to access more capital for the expected upcycle. So he sold his home and invested two-thirds of the home sales proceeds into resource stocks. By August 2016, he saw his investment funds triple in value. During, uh, due to his large gains, Brian quit his professional job as an engineer and now devotes his time to researching and investing in mining stocks. Junior Stock Review gives uh, first access to his subscribers, to his top picks and commentary on the individual metals markets and his own notes from the field because he goes out to see the projects. And, um, and it also does interviews uh, with top minds in the resource sector. I just recently saw one in which he and a colleague of his did one with, uh, with Rick Rule, and hopefully you get uh, Brian's take on that uh, in a few minutes from now. But anyway, Brian, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me, Jay. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Yeah, so this uh, it is great to have you. And uh, we met up when, in fact, we were um, at you know uh, at the Irving Resources. Uh, uh, presentation up in Toronto at the PDAC, and that's when I first met up with you personally. I knew that you were on the, um, uh, 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 with the, uh, you know, a speaker at the Metals Investor Forum, 
Um, but I had never really met you until then, so I'm really glad I did. So since this is your first time on the show, I'd like to have you talk a bit about your investment philosophy and how that impacts you when you write for your subscribers. You say your letter is for managing speculation in the resource sector. So why are you focused on speculation? I get a sense of maybe that's because of your success after you sold your house um, and, and, and parlayed that into really great, in, I mean, really great results, I suppose, with more speculative investments. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's addicting when you start making uh, you know multiple baggers of your money um, to you know focus more on that area, and that's absolutely what attracts me to speculation. Um, in terms of my approach to the sector, you know, a big part of what I've found over the last you know ten years <clears throat> is that I have to protect my downside, and I do that by being a value investor. And really what that has, has led me to do is focus on companies that have, you know, typically a 43-101 or at least a 43-101 resource um, or some sort of economic study. And using my background as an engineer, I can go and look at that study or form my own sort of study on an existing 43-101 resource and come up with a value. And, you know, there's a number of components that make up the value of a company, but that quantitative portion of it is, is the big part. And uh, so when I form a value for the company, I compare that to its market cap. And, you know, obviously I'm looking for companies that are selling for less than they're worth. And they have those other factors, you know, they're led by good people that have access to money and, of course, have an action plan that's going to cause news flow in the market and hopefully, you know, garner attention by the market and getting that value fully realized. So that's that's my approach uh, in a nutshell to this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, um Irving Resources, for example, uh, they don't have a resource yet. Uh, so I, you obviously don't just pick companies with resources. What might you need to see to pick one that doesn't have a resource? Well, that, that's a great question. You're right. And so while the majority of my, my portfolio is focused on the, the basically the developers, I do have a select few explorers. And I'm, I'm very picky when it comes to the explorers. I want to stick to the best of the best. Um, and so using Irving as an example, to me, they represent a huge opportunity uh, because of the potential they have. You know, for your, your viewers, they, they know, you know, Japan really has been untouched by modern exploration for the last, you know, 40, 50 years. And really, Irving is that, you know, first mover um, in the last, you know, three to five years that's gone in there, assembled a, a stellar package of, of projects. And they've done that on the back, I think, of, you know, Akiko Levinson and, and obviously her being Japanese. And I think having a foot in the door when it comes to creating relationships and you know opening doors that i think that you know maybe others can't do and so irving's portfolio projects i think are uh, are the best um in terms of the companies that are in japan right now they include you know huge swaths of land and in, in high potential areas uh, right now they're in hokkaido and uh i i think that you know there's tons of potential um for momu and um i'm really excited to finally get back to drilling on a consistent basis after this kind of hiatus almost over the last two years with COVID, you know, creating all those problems. And I think with this increased news flow that we're going to be seeing, um, and of course, this influx of cash, you know, the the potential for Irving to get market recognition is definitely there. And that's one of the reasons why I've got them um, as one of my explorers in the portfolio. Yeah, and indeed. And one of their key shareholders is Newmont Mining. Uh, also, the, what's really interesting about this project is it's different than most mining projects. They don't have to build a mill, um, you know, and they and they have the, as you know, the host rock, 
uh, is marketable. They get uh, as a uh, you know for silica for the silica host rock is marketable uh, for the refineries, uh, the copper refineries, and so it's to me it's just really a, a very unique story. And I was uh, just interested in finding out why you, as a little bit more conservative speculator, with looking at forty three one ones, would be interested in that. And as you say, you're very picky. Well, I think um, I, I share your enthusiasm for. Irving, that's for sure. Well, getting back to this notion of speculation, what kind of investors are suited for speculative investments? I mean, certain kinds of people, it seems to me, that might not be, their temperament might not be the best uh, for the nail-biting kinds of investments. Uh, You're absolutely right. And, you know, I guess one big thing about uh, investing period is, I think, uh, self-awareness. You need to know who you are and how you operate. Um, and so I think for the, the type of investor that's interested in speculation is someone that I think has enough money um, that they can, you know, I shouldn't say, shouldn't necessarily say afford to lose 50 or 60 percent of their money. Yeah. Um, but it's not going to make a huge difference if they lose it. You know, yeah. speculation is not the same as investing. You know, investing, you're buying a part of a company that in, in my definition is cash flowing, is cash flow positive mm-hmm. um, and is generating some sort of product or service. With these junior mining companies, you're you're very much betting on the people and their ability to execute on an action plan and, of course, garner uh, recognition from the market. And, you know, you can have is and like right now is a really good example. You can have companies that are executing. Management is doing everything they can, you know, completing their action plans and completing them with positive results. And the share price is going down instead of up. <laughs> yeah. And, to me, you know, it takes a certain type of person to be able to look at that as an opportunity rather than, you know, run for the hills. Right. And, um, and so for me, I, like it, to me, that is, it spells opportunity and I've, you've seen my life change because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so for those investors that do have the stomach to get through years like this, mm-hmm. um, it can be a, a major life tra- changing event. If you can hold, you pick the right companies and hold, um, through these types of markets. Um, but it isn't for everybody and you definitely need to do some self, uh, recognition before you start putting money into the junior resource sector. Cause it definitely isn't for everybody. Well, I have to ask you, uh, you sold your house and that no doubt required your spouse's agreement. I, this is, <laughs> Mrs. Taylor and I went through the same thing. We sold our house. I, I didn't parlay into the same kind of returns you did, however. I, I did buy, I did take a certain percentage of it and buy gold, and that, that has worked out. That's been a, a smart move. Uh, but uh, what did you see specifically that caused you to think the resource sector was at the bottom or nearly so in, two, in those years, 2014, 2015? Well, you know, I, I definitely didn't know that we were at a bottom. Like I definitely wasn't calling a bottom, but I thought we had to have been getting close. Mm -hmm. And I think probably the biggest driver, honestly, Jay, was I wanted a change in my life. You know, I, I'd come up at a uh, university and I was an engineer, started working on the floor as an engineer. And then I got a so-called promotion into management. And you know what? I really wasn't enjoying it. I had a young family, he's working a lot of hours and, you know, away from them. And I wanted to change. And Uh that's what prompted me. I said, you know what? I think the market is getting cheap enough that I need to, I can make a move here and, you know, still have the downside protection um, that I would in, in, in normal times. But this is one of those opportunities that if I'm right, um, it can really make an impact. 
And it took three years <laughs> to kind of un- unfold, right? So I sold in 2013 and then I deployed over the next two years. And then it wasn't until 2016 that I really got paid off. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and so, you know, it was, it was kind of nerve wracking because sure. we were in this precarious position. I wasn't worried about money because I had, I had my job, but all my savings were basically in the market. And as you say, I had a very understanding wife. She, you know, she quite honestly has showed more confidence in me than I have in myself at, at some times. <laughs> and I think that's a, that's a big factor and it is her support. Um, but it was a hard slug over two years, but you know what? It did change my life. And I was able to leave a career that I was, that I was doing very well in and become a private investor full time. And really I haven't looked back and I've, you know, made more money, um, in the last, you know, five or six years than I did in that first 10 years in the steel industry. And, and so like, if you, again, if you have the courage and you can pick the right companies, you know, there is a ton of money to be made in this sector. Yeah. Well, money isn't everything, and I think you recognize that. I mean, you can, um, you know, we, Mrs. Taylor and I have a son. He's about your age, I think. He's in his late 30s, and he is not, he's not, he's a software engineer, and he wasn't interested in continuing on with that for very long for some of the same reasons you're talking about. I mean, it's the pressure, it's the, it's the grind, and, um, and, you know, and having a life that is, you know, where you're more free to, to do things you want to do and, and to live your life and to share your time with your loved ones. So, um, I really understand that. Um, I just want to ask you, there's, you know, big, I guess you're focused primarily then on, on the precious metals. Well, you know, honestly, I'm agnostic to the metal. Uh, mm-hmm. if you go back even a couple of years, I was really big on nickel. And I was the only one talking about nickel. Again, I, maybe I'm just really early <laughs> because, you know, I, I invested in a, in a big way in a, in a junior nickel company. And again, I had to wait a couple of years. But then last year I was paid off with almost a 10-bagger on this company. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, my background comes from steel manufacturing. So mm-hmm. I'm very much attached to the base metals. Sure. You know, I, I think that the, the practicality of the base metals, I think, is probably better understood by the, the general person out there. Uh-huh. And, and I think in terms of me, I, I you know, it's, I, it's deep in me. I, I totally connect with the base metals. Um, but 100% I'm investing in the precious metals. And if you look at my portfolio right now, it is out of the 18 companies that I, I cover and own in my personal portfolio, um, 16 of them are precious metals focused. And so that it really what happens is the value directs me to where I want to go. And um, I see so much value in the precious metals companies that that's where all my money has been going over the last year. And uh, that's not to say that when precious metals, because I will sell, um, when precious metals start to go up, I start to take profits and I mm-hmm. look for that next place to put my money. And maybe with a recession on the horizon, maybe that's more so in the base metals because there's some terrific opportunities on the base metals and energy metals. And uh, hopefully there's some opportunity there. Uh, to what extent do you think that's driven by the, uh, the movement towards green, green energy? It, it, it's, it's, uh, it's a big part of it. You know, if, if, if truly we are, uh, you know, electrifying the world and the EV adoption is going to be as, as hyped as, as, as it said, there's going to have to be more mines, not only discovered, but put into production. 
And uh, it's a huge opportunity for investors um, on that that portion of the market. What I would say is, you know, after Biden got in the the fall of 2020 there, um, things really exploded in value. And there was a lot of stuff that I kind of missed on that that turn. Um, and then when I sort of recognized more bought into it more, um, a lot of these valuations has had kept me out of it. Um, mm-hmm. meaning things were too expensive for, for my taste and really it, it pushed me to precious metals. And I, I think that was, you know, in retrospect, it was okay because I think precious metals is where you want to be right now. Yeah. Well, I'm just looking at a chart from Michael Oliver, who is a technical analyst. We had him on earlier in today's show. He passed out a chart recently that showed the, the, um, the Bloomberg commodity exchange, um, uh, that, um, that index, uh, and we certainly did from uh, from the end of 2020 on upwards to, to, to just recently. The, you know, we saw that in general commodities outperform gold and have continued. Recently, they've pulled back a bit, and I can understand. When we look at this for the long term, we saw a huge increase in, and then we're talking soft commodities, all kinds of commodities, uh, rising up to 230, I think, on the, and then it went down to 60 after. So this was 2009 with the with the crash, with the market crash, the financial crisis, and then um, and then back up, and then but it has been very dismal. Commodities in general have been really bad performers until recently, but I can see where, on the other hand, gold has had, if you draw a line through the trend, has been a steady upward trend. I would I would suggest it's relative to uh, the monetary debasement that's going on, but maybe just switching to macro to some to some macro views and mass macro discussion now um how how determined do you think the fed is to keeping their foot on the brakes until they beat inflation how far are they willing to take it do you think or do you think there will be a pivot because we had uh, david stockman who was in the reagan administration was on this show a few weeks ago and david was talking about he really surprised me because he was suggesting that the fed is really scared they're scared about people with torches and pitchforks coming after them. I mean, you have the middle class that is being absolutely decimated in America, and I suppose in Canada too, where people just can't, you know, not not people that have had some savings. There's a lot of millions, half the population don't have, are living paycheck to paycheck. And now all of a sudden they can't put food in, in the tables and gas in their, car, in their tanks. Uh, how far do you think that this Fed is willing to push and to, to keep their foot on the brakes? How far will they take it before they pivot that's the the billion dollar question i think right now and if you i I guess if you look at the market the market i think is telling you that they're going to stop um and maybe retreat um i'm more skeptical um i think that a lot of the inflation that we're seeing is supply driven uh Mm -hmm. meaning the you know the covid lockdowns and the impacts it had to supply chains plus the the russian sanctions right have really played a huge part into why we've seen the inflation numbers go through the roof therefore my point is i don't think you know the the fed can raise interest rates almost as much as they want mm-hmm. and depress the demand side of of the economy uh but in the end i still think that we're going to see higher prices mm-hmm. and so I don't, I'm not necessarily sure that um, that they will nece- they will give up um, without there being a crash um, and and so we'll see. To me, I don't let it I don't let it bother me in terms of trying to time the market exactly. Uh-huh. 
Mm-hmm. I'm looking for companies that are selling less than they're worth. The the company valuations and compared to the gold price as it stands right now or any of the commodity prices are typically pretty good. And sometimes things are cheap enough. And it doesn't mean I have to take a full position, but I will deploy cash into companies that I think are high quality and have catalysts to get garner market attention. So um, I'll definitely, I definitely think about where the Fed is headed and how it's going to affect the market. But I think at this point, um, it's a great time to be deploying cash into the, you know, the best of the best companies. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, that's how I look at it. Yeah, well, certainly the, the key is having the staying power. As you mentioned, you had to sit through some of these investments for quite a while before they paid off. And uh, that's, you know, having enough capital to be able to, to sustain long periods of wait time is, is very important. And that's, uh, I want to ask you, what did you make of last week's uh, 75 basis point hike? Well, I, you know what? I definitely thought it was going to come. I was even thinking, you know, after seeing what, it, you know, the ECB came out with a half percent and, yeah. and Canada had a, had a percent. Um, I, I definitely thought we were going to see a hike. I was even thinking that we might even see something more aggressive considering the inflation number released at the beginning of the year, you know, our month, uh-huh. beginning of the month at 9.1. Um, but they went with the 75 basis points the same as, as the month previous. I really wasn't surprised by it. Um, I think what I was surprised by was you know, the market reaction definitely coming, you know, basically two weeks before the, 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 uh, the event. And, you know, now looking at it today, um, it looks like we're already looking to the next one, which I believe is in what September is the next mm-hmm. Fulmic. And uh, it should be an interesting month, you know, ahead of us, you know, leading up to that next announcement and see if they indeed um, remain in, in, in hike mode or whether they're going to change course. It, it should be really interesting. Uh, you and Bill Powers did a very interesting interview with Rick Rule. We just have a couple of minutes left, my engineer is telling me, but... Um, Maybe you could share that, and also the video. Where can people watch the video? Uh, it could, and and then just tell people where they can go to learn more about your service. Sure. Um, so Rick, you know, I, I obviously know Rick to a certain degree now, but even before Rick was a, a mentor from afar to me, sure. and, mm-hmm. um, had a tremendous impact on you know how I looked at the market and how I deployed the money. Um, so these interviews that I've done with Bill have been terrific from my standpoint because I get to ask him questions that are on my mind and I think that will parlay into better investment choices ahead. Um, in our latest interview, we talked about jurisdictional risk, you know, mainly the stuff that's been going on in South America um, and pertaining a lot to you know, environmental permitting. You know, is this, are yeah. these isolated events or is this a bigger trend? And he answered how I thought he was going to in saying that this does look like it's a bigger trend across mm-hmm. the sector. You know, we're going to be seeing more stringent um, permitting process going, going forward. Um, further than that, he's got a number of different tidbits uh, that you can pick up from the video, and I highly suggest people going onto YouTube and taking a look. In terms of myself, um, I publish, you know, Junior Soccer View Premium. It's a, a weekly newsletter, and uh, it includes market commentary. I do a portfolio rankings. Remember, the portfolio is, is a reflection of the companies that I personally own, vetted, uh-huh. and I do portfolio revo- review videos. And um, I also, for yearly subscribers, I also offer access to the Diligent Spectrum. It's a video series focused on education in the sector. Um, so for those interested, juniorstockreview.com is the best place to find that out. All right. Excellent. Well, we'll have to leave it go at that. We're out of time, but I want to thank you very much for being with us. It's uh, really great to hear from you, Brian, and we'll have to do it again sometime. That's for sure. Thanks, All right. Jay.
All right, folks. So this is it for this week. Next week, uh, Alistair McLeod will be with me to talk about his recent article that he wrote, Gold and the Upcoming Recession. And Dr. Quentin Henning will be with me as well to talk about SK Mining's amazing precious metals VMS deposit uh, that is being uh, outlined now and drilled aggressively uh, in British Columbia. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel.